0: Coming to you from the AT&T podcast studio, this is Long Story Short. I'm Ted Struli, the executive director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Reporter Paul Monies has been following the money on the state's $1.87 billion share of federal coronavirus relief funds under the American Rescue Plan Act. His latest story looks at the pace of spending that money. Paul, how much of that money have Oklahoma lawmakers allocated?
1: Yeah, so they've done most of the allocation of this money, and uh, they've got about $1.7 billion for various projects uh, across the state that they approved uh, last uh, fall and summer.
0: And why are some of them frustrated uh, with the delays?
1: Well, they spent a lot of time last summer kind of vetting the projects. They had hundreds to look at, and then they spent a lot of time in the fall in a special session kind of uh, approving these projects to go through kind of an appropriation-style process. It's been now six months, and only 2.5% of the money is out the door so far. Who's to blame here? Well, it's it's kind of complicated. It's a combination of, uh, you know, the Office of Management and Enterprise Services is in charge of doling out these funds to the various agencies or the subrecipients. They want to be very careful to make sure that all the, the, the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and that the feds won't claw back this money. Um, and so they've kind of gotten these funding agreements ready to go and have that ready for these agencies to come to them and ask for the money.
0: Now, by design, almost half of that $1.87 billion in relief money uh, is still sitting there, hasn't been spent. Why is it?
1: Yeah, that's that's by design for sure, because, um, you know, there's about $430 million that will go to water and sewer infrastructure projects. And that is going through the Oklahoma Water Resources Board and kind of competitive and designated grants. So that's kind of planned to be kind of a little slower to go out the door for some of those big projects like that. And then there's another, uh, um, you know, three or four hundred million dollars for broadband efforts around the state. And that is going for the the brand new state broadband office, which is getting up off the ground, uh, but still has competitive grants to weigh on that front as well.
0: What other areas are getting uh, some of that relief money?
1: Yeah, so the the lawmakers decided that those are two of the biggest pots, but also they're taking some money to go towards workforce development uh, and especially in health areas. And so part of that is to, is to do with um, some nursing program expansion at community colleges and career techs uh, and uh, regional colleges, universities across the state.
0: Now, uh, you know, they're exercising some caution, clearly, with this uh, round of Pandemic relief. Does that have anything to do with the problems they had on the first round of pandemic relief uh, back in 2020 under the CARES Act?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the impression I get for a lot of folks, kind of in charge of some of this this money. Um, You know, the CARES Act was a lot of money that came very quickly in the first year of the pandemic, uh, and a lot of that was uh, kind of went out the door quickly without much vetting and. As we've kind of seen from some of that in the after effects, there's been audits. The feds have kind of questioned a lot of stuff, especially on educational funds that came out the door. Uh, So I think there's just a lot of caution this time. And, you know, they they want to make sure they're doing it right for these kind of one-time fund projects.
0: Now, while the agencies and other recipients are waiting for that money, uh, the states earned a fair amount of interest on it, hasn't it?
1: That's right. Yeah, normally you can't earn any kind of interest on federal funds that are sitting on in your accounts at the state. But for whatever reason, the, the federal uh, lawmakers decided that you could do this at the state level for the ARPA money. And so, uh, so far, uh, the state has invested that money and earned about twenty-two million dollars in interest earnings.
0: Now, lawmakers recently acted on another ARPA bill, right? What did they uh, deal with with that one? Uh, long after the special session ended back in October.
1: That's right. Yeah, there was one $95 million bill for uh, the Department of Human Services that kind of got caught up in some back and forth between the House and the Senate. At the end of the special session last September, Uh, lawmakers promised to get that done quickly when the session started in a regular session this year. Uh, They then have taken a little bit of time, but have finally voted on that, sent it through committee last week, and it passed the House Uh, It does have a little bit less money. Uh, One of the projects that was designated was a a kind of food pantry-like place in Tulsa that got $30 million for kind of wraparound social services. There were some questions on kind of the oversight of that uh, nonprofit um, and who was getting the money ultimately for that project. And so lawmakers pulled back and kind of approved this pared-down version of the, the bill for DHS last week, and that's still to go through the Senate now.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, you can read all of Paul's coverage of the disbursement of that nearly $2 billion in ARPA funding and uh, all his other work related to state government at our website, OklahomaWatch.org. dot Keaton Ross covers Democracy for Oklahoma Watch. In his latest story, he examines a legislative proposal that seeks to clarify when Oklahomans convicted of a felony have their voting rights restored. Keaton, what does uh, state law's current felony disenfranchisement law say?
2: It says that you have to serve out your full court-mandated calendar day sentence. So if you're sentenced to 10 years in prison and you get out of prison in five years, you have to wait the full 10 years under under the law. And why
0: has there been confusion around that uh, recently?
2: A lot of it started uh, around 2018, 2019, when there were uh, criminal justice reform. Of course, we had state question. 780 that reclassified uh, some of property and drug offenses from felonies to misdemeanors. And then the legislature passed a law making that retroactive. So we saw a mass commutation, several hundred people released from prison in late 2019. Well, the question after that was, they were convicted of a felony. It's now been changed. But under the law, it says any person convicted of a felony has to wait out that full sentence. So there was uh, some confusion around that and I, I think that's ultimately what what prompted this bill has any
0: state government entity weighed in on this
2: in early early last year early 2022 former attorney General John O'Connor issued an opinion that stated that if you have a commutation to time served uh, which would be the case of you know the folks who were let out of prison in late 2019 who's Sentences were were modified from felonies to misdemeanors. You are eligible to vote if you receive that time-served commutation. Um, it also had some clarified that if you're in a successfully completed drug court program, that doesn't affect your voting rights. Uh, but, but that hasn't been clarified in state statute.
0: A bill from Representative Regina Goodwin, a uh, Tulsa Democrat, would codify voting rights for a certain commutation recipients. Why does she believe that bill's necessary?
2: I spoke with her last week and she said that she thinks it's necessary just because there's um, some different information floating around, Um, you know, folks coming out of prison, uh, folks who are helping people register to vote. Even she even said some people in the legislature haven't been a hundred percent clear on, you know, what, what the current state of affairs is regarding, you know, voting rights for someone who's who's been convicted of a felony or received that commutation. Um, so she believes it it would be helpful just for the general public, uh, for folks trying to get out the vote and get people registered. Um, both of those those parties to to have a lot more clarity on this issue.
0: Any other foreseeable benefits to uh, further clarifying it in a statute?
2: It would also be helpful to state and county election officials Um, when the, when this bill was being heard in a house committee, state election board secretary, Paul Ziriak said that, you know, putting this in the state law would be, would be very helpful in in that regard as, uh, you know, they're working off of what state law says when they're, they're giving advice to to folks. Um, So, you know, if you have that in state law, that would be helpful if someone calls up their county election board and who has been convicted of a felony and is trying to get that advice that that would be uh, beneficial there.
0: Now, while you were reporting the story, you talked to a, a prison ministry uh, leader who helps people with felony convictions get registered to vote. What What kind of effect does she think the bill would have should it become law?
2: She believes it would have a positive effect. Uh, she told me that people who are, who are in the justice system and, have been in prison or are on felony probation. Have been convicted of that felony. Uh, they're they're pretty. the The language the bill uses is it adds a term that once your sentence has been discharged, which which people she says people who have been convicted of a felony are are aware of. You know that means that your sentence is totally done. You're out of prison. You're off of any kind of probation, supervised or unsupervised. Um, and, and your obligation to the state is done and having that in the law and being able to communicate that, she says, would be uh, it would help speed things up, make things more clear. And you wouldn't have to do that kind of calculation from the original sentence.
0: Are there positive effects that uh, voting or, or other forms of civic engagement might have on uh, someone who has a criminal record record?
2: There have been a few studies and a few years ago when I was reporting kind of a similar story, I, I spoke with one researcher um, out of the University of Pittsburgh who did a study that found that restoring voting rights for people with felonies, getting them registered to vote and civically engaged is, um, can be very beneficial as far as feeling a part of society, like you're contributing and, and have a say and that can, could ultimately lead to lower recidivism rates. So. Uh, Making this clearer and and getting the message out could have a similar positive effect here in Oklahoma.
0: What's the status of Goodwin's bill?
2: So it cleared that House committee last month in February. It has until the end of the day, Thursday, March 23rd, to get through the full House floor to get over to the Senate. Uh, We're recording this on a Tuesday morning, um, so we have a few days left to see if, if that ultimately gets heard and passed through. Uh, Goodwin told me she believes it's going to get a vote. That's what she's been told. Um, But but we'll, you know, things can change quickly. We'll have to wait and see.
0: All right. Thanks, Keaton. Uh, You can read all of Keaton's work about uh, that bill and his other coverage of democracy issues on our website, OklahomaWatch.org. While you're there, uh, also make sure you subscribe to Keaton's weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. Jennifer Palmer covers education for Oklahoma Watch. She's been following new rules proposed by the state education department, addressing school library content and student identity at school. Jennifer, what does the department want to change about school libraries?
3: The proposal that the department has put forth would ban pornographic and sexualized content from school libraries, including classroom libraries. And it would um, basically to enforce that, they would require school districts to provide a list of all materials available to students by October 1st of each year.
0: And uh, you've heard some pushback from the public on this, right? What are what are some of the main criticisms?
3: There are quite a few. Um, some of these folks are saying we already don't allow pornographic or sexualized content from school libraries. Um, So the rules are unnecessary. Um, The definitions that the department is using are subjective um, is what some folks are saying. Um, There are already processes um, in place at schools to object to a book in a library Um, typically involves convening a committee of teachers Students, parents, they evaluate, they read the whole book, um, which is uh, key to that process. And, um, you know, one of the main complaints is that this rule is being tied to school's accreditation. So it would give one parent's complaint over a book, a lot of power to um, potentially dissolve an entire district if it really went that far, but also to, um, to harm their accreditation.
0: All right. What about the other rule on student identities? What's that about?
3: Um, There are several parts to that rule. Um, One of the parts has to do with sex education, um, which is not required by the state, but many schools do provide um, sex education as part of like a science curriculum. Um, And it would give parents the right to inspect those materials and exclude their, uh, their child from all or part of that discussion. And there's another part that has to do with student identities. Um, It would require schools to disclose any what it's calling material changes in a student's health, social or psychological development, including their gender identity.
0: What kind of harm might that proposal cause?
3: So a lot of the folks who who are speaking out about this are concerned that it would require school staff um, to forcibly out students who are gay or transgender. Um, And that would be without their permission. It would include any staff, including a counselor. And um, that rule basically assumes that all of these students have loving, understanding parents at home who, you know, will handle this discussion and and this information appropriately. Um, But we've heard lots of folks with stories um, and anecdotes and and personal, um, you know, evidence that that's not always the case.
0: Last week, the department held a public hearing on the rules and dozens of people came out to comment. What did you hear?
3: That's right. There were a lot of comments on these rules. Um, More than a thousand submitted under the uh, written, like by email, but in person, there were quite a few folks that came out. There were church leaders opposed um, to the rules. One said her church runs a shelter for homeless youth. And many of those um, teens were kicked out of their home because of their um, gender identity or sexuality. Um, there were teachers who said there needs to be a trusted and safe place for um, students, um, and and schools are often that place. Um, there were queer and trans Oklahomans who came out to tell their own stories. Um, and um, there were a handful of folks in favor of the rules, too. Um, basically said, you know, these are common sense, parents are the ultimate authority, and they're the best suited um, person or or people in these students' lives to have these discussions with them.
0: Oh, State Superintendent of Public Education, Ryan Walters, is uh, pushing these rules as one of his first major policy moves since taking office. Uh, Was he there at the meeting?
3: He did not attend. Um, I didn't really expect him to, although there were some of the commenters who expressed disappointment that he was not there Um, because this is a rule. It was not a a board meeting. Um, It was a public rule hearing, which in my experience typically is handled by attorneys anyway.
0: So what happens next?
3: So the department has collected all of these um, public comments, and I'm told that Walters um, will have access to the video um, of all the, um, the live comments. He'll have access to all the written comments. He'll be briefed on what was said, and the um, state board it, is expected to um, vote on whether to um, approve these rules or not on Thursday afternoon at its regular meeting.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. You can read all of Jennifer's coverage of education at our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, also be sure to sign up for her weekly newsletter, Education Watch. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This episode was recorded at the AT&T Podcast Studio. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.